Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hello again. Happy Easter. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to continue on with that today, even though it's Easter. Um, We're working in a section from chapter 8, verse 31, all the way through to chapter 9, verse 37. And in that section, if you're familiar with it, you'll know that there's a number of things that are kind of interesting as a part of that section. Uh, There's Christ's first and second predictions of his death to his disciples that are included there. There's uh, the transfiguration, uh, the account of the transfiguration, which is really interesting. And then also, of course, the the healing of the the demon-possessed boy. And If you've been around for a while, you'll know that uh, not that long ago, we had a message on the transfiguration from a fellow by the name of Phil Can that was here, one of our camp speakers. And then we also had a message not long ago on um, the healing of the demon-possessed boy. And so if you didn't catch those, I'd encourage you to go back in in the library online and you can check out those messages there. And then uh, this Friday, on Good Friday, we just talked about the Christ's predictions of his death. And so I'm not going to go into those again this morning. Instead, we're going to focus on one section of that passage from uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to Mark 9, verse 1. And in your Bibles, in most of your Bibles, I'm going to guess that there's a a heading there uh, that says, the way of the cross. And so that's going to be the the section we're going to look at. And at first, uh, maybe from the outset, it doesn't seem like or wouldn't seem like this is a really great idea for an Easter Sunday. Uh, That should have been maybe on Good Friday, but um, I think if you stick with me for a few minutes, then we'll see how that comes together and how it makes sense within the context of Easter. So uh, we're going to start there. For those of you that weren't here on Friday, though, let me just do something. I'm going to catch you up a little bit uh, to this section of Scripture, starting from verse 31, and I'll just kind of fill you in a little bit about what we talked about there. Um, Jesus has just revealed to his disciples in verse 31, 32, 33, that he is going to die. And this is like a whole, like just revolutionary concept to them because they were just starting to identify him as the Messiah. And they had to put their hopes in him as the Messiah. And their expectations of the Messiah were that he was going to come and that he was going to bring triumph and victory. He was going to deliver them from all the oppression that they were facing, all of the different challenges that they were going through. And for them to find out that the Messiah was going to suffer and die would would have just been a complete mind blow for them. Like, what's going on? Where does that come from? That doesn't line up at all with anything that we've been taught growing up. And and that wouldn't be at all in keeping with what they would would have expected. So, Now, just as he's just defined for his disciples that he needs to die, he's going to bring the people together and explain to them that he has to die as well. And so he was going to unpack, give them a a fresh new insight into the way of the Messiah, the way that the Messiah was going to come to victory 
was going to be far different than they had anticipated. Instead of him bringing political victory, cultural victory, economic victory, he was looking at bringing them spiritual victory. His primary objective, his number one focus, his biggest priority was to bring them victory on a far different level, a far more fundamental level, a far more important level than any of those other things. And the only way to bring victory on that spiritual level, victory over sin, is to overcome the penalty of sin, which is death. And so that was the way that he was going to be going. That was going to be the way of the Messiah. It would be victory coming through his pain, through his suffering, and ultimately through his death itself. So now, we're going to pick it up in verse 34. And we're going to to recognize quickly that the way of the Messiah has implications for us now too as his followers. So if you've got your phone with you, if you've got a Bible in front of you, if you don't have any of those things, then just follow along on the screen. We're going to pick it up in verse 34 through to chapter 9, verse 1. It says there, Then he called the crowd to him. This is Jesus. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever, wants, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come before you this Easter Sunday, Lord, as we ask every Sunday, I pray that you would come now by your Spirit and that you would work in our hearts and our minds. Come alongside of us. Help us to hear from you today. Help us to know that you're here, that you're alive, that you're working in our hearts and our minds even now. Remove the confusion from us. Help us to see the truth. Help us to understand you better. Help us to follow you more completely. And I pray these things now in your precious Son's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Okay, so this morning, the first thing that we need to understand as we read this passage, as we come to verse 34, is this. That Jesus has turned from instructing just his disciples to now where he's, just, he's instructing his disciples, and all of the crowd with them. Which is to say that this instruction is no longer just for the twelve. Not just for the apostles. It's for everyone, which now includes you and I. We're included in this as well. Jesus is now teaching us every bit as much as he was teaching that audience then. 
We're included in this. And so we need to be paying attention. We need to be understanding this and appropriating what Jesus is saying for ourselves. Mark Mark 8.34a says this, Then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So we're all in on this now. We're all in listening together. And what we find here again is just as Jesus clarified his Messiahship previously for the disciples, he's now going to clarify and define discipleship for all of us that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. He wants us to understand this appropriately, completely, properly, so that we can then follow suit and understand our role as his followers. In short, we want to, he wants us to understand that the path that the Messiah is about to walk is the same path that we are called to walk as his followers. But as we're going to see right away, this path is going to come as a shock to the people. And even again, to the disciples themselves. Mark 38, Mark 8.34, sorry, part B says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, most of us read that today, and it doesn't come as a big surprise because we're familiar enough with the story of Jesus Christ to know that he was crucified on a cross. But for Jesus' audience then, this would have been a complete mind blow once more. So not only, even just the disciples themselves, Jesus has just been teaching them that the Messiah must suffer, that he's going to die. But now, he takes it to another level, which just warps their mind again, as he points out the fact that he is not only going to die, but he's going to die by way of the cross. For the people hearing them, hearing him then, this would have been just crazy talk. What do you mean? I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around you saying that you're going to have to die, but now you're saying you're going to have to die by way of the cross? Crucifixion was detestable to the people at that time especially the Jews. Crucifixion was this horrible mechanism of death that the Romans had developed. It was a vile practice. People suffered mercilessly on the cross. The Romans preserved this for their worst enemies, for the worst of criminals, and for the lowest classes of society. And it was also a sign of Roman dominance. It was a tactic that they used to help remind their subjects to be subservient. Otherwise, they might face a similar fate. So the Romans would crucify people. And this would have been well known by the people at that time. They would have understood what the cross meant. They would have recognized it. It was not that they were unfamiliar with crucifixion. But it's just this mind blow. Because the Messiah, the one that they thought was going to deliver them, 
is not only going to die, but now he says he's going to die at the hands of the Romans on this instrument of the cross, which is just so degrading and so horrible and so deplorable. How could our hero be choosing this path? How could it be that this was the way that he would have to go? But as much as this mention of the cross would have signified and symbolized a lot to the people in terms of its suffering and pain and the deplorableness of, of that method of death, it communicated a second message to the people every bit as clearly. Namely, that the full extent of the level of discipleship that Jesus is calling us to is the cross. Which is to say, Jesus is calling for our complete commitment up to and including death. That wouldn't have been lost on the people then. They would have recognized what Jesus was expecting of them now as his followers. That they would follow him all the way up to and including their own deaths. You know, for you and I today, I think that there's a tendency for us to come to passages of Scripture like this and we water down this call of commitment that Jesus places on us as his followers. We want to sanitize the level of commitment that Christ is calling us to. To where it's somehow a level that we can be comfortable with. Don't we? We want this to be a commitment, oh for sure. But a commitment that isn't much more than an inconvenience or a nuisance. Nothing up to and including the level of death. Sure, we, we say that we're prepared to suffer for Christ. We recognize that in the course of life we're going to have some of those awkward moments where some people are going to maybe make fun of us for going to church. Where we might get looked at funny. Where people might mock us a little bit for having chosen to give some money to missions or give some money to, to the church to help facilitate ministry that way. We might, we might have even come to the point where we're starting to wrestle with the idea of bigger penalties like imprisonment. As I look out at our society day in and day out, it seems to me that for those of us that are following Christ and making that known, that that's getting more and more difficult all the time. The world and government are starting to press down on us even more, day by day. They don't want us to take stands that are different than what they believe. And when we do, we can anticipate that there's going to be some penalties. 
But in general, we want life to be okay. We want it to go nicely, smoothly. Nothing too significant. Nothing that I can't handle. But we're just simply wrong in that expectation. The people here would have understood that Christ is calling us to follow him up to and including our death. And we need to understand that as well. Not to say that we interpret this to mean that Christ wants us to go out and live so that we get crucified. So that we're that obnoxious to the world around us that they just want to eliminate us. But we need to understand that when we follow Christ, that if it comes right down to it, that I will choose to follow Him, that I will choose to live for Him, regardless of the consequences, as He leads me to. We have to get that through, his mind, through our minds. Just as the, His audience then would have. It was plain and it was simple. They would have understood that there is only one purpose. There is only one objective. There is only one outcome for the cross. And that's death. Christ calls us to live for him up to and including our deaths. As you hear that this morning... Are you like me? Do you hear that? And you immediately feel yourself start to lean back and cross your arms. You feel yourself. Distance yourself from what Christ's saying here. Are you like me this morning? Has the argument already started in your mind? <laughs> that is just over the top. Now, now this, this is crazy talk. Calling me to my death? To follow him? Even if it costs me my life? That's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It's completely egotistical. Who, who is this Jesus guy that he would make that kind of a demand? Really? Like, what's he tripping on? It's completely unreasonable. It's, it, it's just plain and simple unreasonable. Surely, he cannot be asking me to commit, commit myself to something like that. How is it that he would even expect that? How, would it, how is it that he would expect me? He said that he created me. He said that he loves me. How on earth would it be that he would call me to follow him up to and including my death? And therein lies exactly the point. It's not that Jesus is egotistical or unreasonable. His call on us and our lives to follow him up to and including death 
is so that we will not die a spiritual death. It's to keep us from death. Not to get us to death, to dead, to dying. Since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, man has been facing the consequence of sin. It's been hanging over each one of us. Everyone, as soon as we're born, faces the consequence of sin, which is death. And not just death, but death and then separation from God for eternity in hell. It's hanging over each one of us. It's the destiny that we face. But just like Adam and Eve, our pride says, we can handle this on our own. That we can navigate this. I can manage this. I've got a better idea than having to lay down my life following Jesus. I've got a better plan. Just like Frank, I can do it my way. And it's going to be better for me, not just now, but in the end too. Somehow it's all going to work out, I know. That might be an issue for somebody else. But I'm not like everybody else. I'm different. I can do this on my own. But it's a lie. Just as it was for Adam and Eve, it's a lie for you and I today too. We can't. We can't solve this on our own. We can't make this go away. Jesus says, verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. That's to say, whoever wants to follow their own agenda, who wants to pursue their own purposes, who wants to determine for themselves their priorities and their objectives, whoever wants to chase after that, do it their way. It's going to lead you to lose your life. Not just now, but for eternity. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What's good... Sorry, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good is it to pursue your own ways, accomplish your own agenda, cash in big time here and now, only to find out that you lose your soul for eternity? Jesus says it's a bad deal. You can't win that one. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? No matter how much we've cashed in now, no matter how much we've racked it up, when that time comes, there's nothing that we can give in exchange for our soul. There's nothing that's of comparable worth for our soul. There's nothing that we can offer to buy it back. 
At that point, it's done. It's gone. And then Jesus says this, If any was ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, which is right now, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Church family, this morning, we need to understand. Friends, visitors, please understand. This isn't at all about Jesus being egotistical or unreasonable. Not even close, far from it. He stands to gain nothing from this. Nothing. He gains nothing out of this. It's just the truth. It's just the facts. So motivated only then by his benevolence and his love toward each one of us. Motivated only by his benevolence for you and his love for you. He comes to earth and chooses a path to save us from our sin. And he gives us the straight goods. He puts the cards on the table. He lays it out plain and simple. This is what's up, kids. This is the way it works. Pay attention to me. Follow me. Allow me to save you from what's coming, what's hanging over you right now. The consequence that you are already facing. It's, it's far worse. It's in, incomparably worse to the challenge that you're going to have in following me and giving your life completely for me, I'll lead you to life. I'll lead you out of death. Only when we find Jesus and give ourselves up to follow him do we find true life. Not just now, but for eternity. Now after laying these cards on the table, Jesus does something more for us. One more thing. He knows that this is not a simple deal. He recognizes what it means to take up a cross. He's going to see that very shortly. And we see it as well as we follow Jesus through the rest of the Gospel of Mark. He knows where his path was leading. And he knows where our path is leading. He knows the challenges that we're going to face. He's been there. He's done that. He recognizes them. He sees them coming. He's not oblivious to it. He knows it's not going to be easy. So he goes on to point out to his audience then and us now some encouragement. Something that we can look to. Something that we can hold on to in the midst of the challenges that will come for following him. In the midst of a world that will mock us. In the midst 
of a world that will penalize us and punish us. In the midst of a world that will cause us pain and suffering, he points to something that we can hold on to. Specifically, he points to the power that would soon be demonstrated and displayed in his death and ultimately in his resurrection. In essence, then, he points us to Easter. He points us to what we now know as this weekend that we're celebrating. Mark 9, verse 1 says this, And he said to them, Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Oftentimes, this passage is misunderstood as being an indication of the second coming of Christ. When he comes back to wrap this whole thing up, when he comes back to establish his dominion over everything. But that's not it at all. Rather, it's him drawing our attention to Easter. It's him drawing his audience's attention to what was coming next by his foresight. And what Mark is now drawing our attention to with hindsight. Because Easter serves to show us and to remind us of the power of God. Easter is a demonstration that what God is calling us to, He's been through Himself. What God is calling us to, He has conquered, that He's become victorious over. He's handled the problem of sin and death. And He's come out the other side. And he's calling us now to follow him. Follow me. I've made a path. I've made a way. You don't have to suffer that consequence anymore of death and eternal separation from me in hell. I've made a way. Follow me. It's not easy. For us to overcome our own pride and self-interest. The world will mock us and they'll hurl their insults. But day by day, as we encounter it, as we follow him, Jesus points us back to Easter and says, remember, remember Remember what I've done. And that by Easter, through my death and my suffering and my resurrection, that we have now this opportunity to one day live forever with Him. That because of what He's done, that one day life will no longer be like it is here, living in a fallen and broken world but will be perfect just as he originally intended it. And as, as if that weren't enough yet, 
that we can remember that because of what he has done at Easter, that we no longer have to live life even now under the weight of the penalty of sin. That we are free from that. No longer subject to it. Free to follow Him and anticipate what is to come as we do. That's what Easter's all about. That's what Christ points us to. This morning, if you have not come to that place in your life where you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, please, 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 contemplate it seriously. Contemplate the truth that Jesus is laying out. And if you need help with that, come and talk to any one of us. Here at the church, somebody that maybe brought you today. And for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, once again, remember the level of commitment that Christ is calling us to. This Easter, Let's renew our commitment to Him. To go out and live for Him despite what will come as a result of it. On account of what He's done for us and what we have to look forward to because of His sacrifice on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, this morning again, we stop and we say thank you for the gift of your son this Easter. Thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you for the difference that that can make in our lives, God. That we can have victory over sin. That we can be free of the penalty of death and eternal separation from you. That we can look forward to life eternally with you in heaven one day. All on account of the fact that he was willing to come and hang on a cross and die so that he could rise again and overcome that penalty for us. I ask these things now, all for his sake, and in his name I pray, amen.